0: Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives, from our financial life, to our relationships, to our kids and our health. We're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family, and in every episode, we consider the research and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens. I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And on most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. On this episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Michael Collins, Chief of Staff for Employee Engagement at Google, and one of my favorite thinkers and doers in the diversity and inclusion space. We met about 10 years ago or so at Diversity Best Practices, where we were creating research and publications to help diversity executives bring change to major companies. Now he himself is one of those executives and one of the biggest and most influential companies in the world to boot, all of which is to say, welcome, Michael.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jen. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: We often start with a stat or a trend or something uh, to get our conversations going, and but for us, I thought we'd just jump right back into the conversation we've been having since I think the day we met about D and I at work. <laughs> yeah. We'll just continue. Yes. Just so just keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you're you're at a you know maybe the most influential company in the in the world right now. No, and no big deal. <laughs> no, no, you know whatevs. Uh, yeah. And it's a company that kind of lives out loud. It does a diversity report. Mm-hmm. Reporters love to cover it. Um, all the like, like, so all of which is like, it's very interesting. What are the diversity inclusion topics that are top of mind for you right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't underscore enough how much it does feel like the whole world is watching. Yes. many of the decisions that Google makes. And we are very much aware of that. And so in addition to wanting to make sure that we have the best employee experience across the board for all of our Googlers, um, we're hyper-focused on the fact that we're kind of writing the playbook for this as we go uh, for Mm -hmm. how a company of our size and scale does the work, how we measure the work, how we message the work, and how we hold ourselves accountable All of those things are top of mind for us on an ongoing basis, but specifically right now. And then it's also a very huge emphasis on racial equity and belonging for us at Google. Racial equity, because we're at such a pivotal inflection point in North America and beyond. Yeah. As a part of a global racial reckoning um, that's mapped on top of a pandemic, that's mapped on top of like everything else (laughs) that's going on in this world that has forced us to shine a light not just on how we go to market, but how we um, interact with our Googlers of color and specifically our black Googlers, um, how we create uh, an environment that is systemically inclusive. And how we provide uh, the type of employee experience that people want to write home about that goes beyond just, you know, the free food and the slides in the middle of the office and all of those other accoutrements that Google is well known for, but is actually creating a system wherein folks feel like they belong, they feel like they're able to do their best work and thrive at the same rates as everyone else, and feel like they have an equal shot to be successful and to make it to the very top of this organization. And so we're looking at racial equity, we're looking at belonging, we are creating meaningful ways of measuring that. yeah, And then, you know, ensuring that we create the type of employee experience that really um, buttresses those two big ideals, uh, while simultaneously trying to drive it externally as well. Yeah which is, you know, no small feat, but I think it's the type of responsibility and obligation that Google understands itself to have because of the size and the scale of our work and the reach of everything that we do.
0: When working together at Diversity Best Practices, like the so diversity was kind of like the numbers, inclusion yeah. was kind of like bringing you into the culture, and mm-hmm. now I, I'm a little like, um, uh, not, not up on the terminology because now yeah. we're adding equity. Uh, is it equity? Is equity like yeah, and I mean, bo- it's yeah, and belonging. And what belonging. does that mean?
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, it is so funny that you bring that up, Jim, because I'm like, I, I thought that we had seen it all.
0: When we were <laughs> right, at like, but doesn't that incorporate? Yeah, yeah, are like, we good? You know,
1: what else is there? Uh, but no, I think equity is really. Uh, for us at Google talking about our people, processes, and systems. Um, yeah. So are we seeing equal outcomes uh, for our different demographics? And if not, what parts of the systems are broken that are not allowing us to see the types of um, positive outcomes for everyone that we might be looking for? Um, that is to say that there's a big piece around evaluating where in our processes we're seeing a drop off in representation. mm mm-hmm. And then working backwards to ensure that everyone has what they need to be successful. Uh, so it's both an input and an output metric that we're using to really determine um, equitable outcomes. And you know, I think it it starts with acknowledging that folks may in fact be starting off at a different place. Not, you know, at a right. deficit, but at a different place. And that what you need to be successful may not necessarily be what I need to be successful. Um, not because, you know, you or I are less than one or the other. Um, but because we are starting, you know, with different points of exposure or different things that have made us us over the course of our careers. And mm-hmm. so we want to make sure that folks have what they need to be successful, understanding that there are both conscious and unconscious biases that have often crept into the people, processes and systems and have disproportionately impacted folks um, in ways that are, are less savory. And so we do want to make sure that we keep a keen eye to what we're putting into our system and how yeah. we're measuring what comes out of it. Belonging, I think, is kind of taking inclusion a step further. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. it's to say that it's a hyper focus on creating the type of environment where everyone feels like they can be their best and fullest person. All right, um, yeah. and and I belong here. Not that I'm included here, right? Because I think about my experience. <laughs> I think about my experience um, in in consulting post uh, DBP post business school, uh, where I was like, you know, I was included, but I didn't really feel like I belonged yeah. at that firm. You know what I mean? I, I didn't yeah, talk like them. I didn't. I didn't yeah, I, didn't.
0: I, I couldn't. I didn't feel comfortable saying yeah. what I thought at the. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And it's like you know, it's it's just how this culture is. It's like I'm not. Um, management consultant, like it is playing out at this firm because that's just not, you know, how I operate, how, what my style is, you know, um, I don't necessarily flex in the way that they do. Uh, what yeah. we want to do at Google and, and I think, you know, kind of the tide is shifting in the diversity, equity and inclusion ecosystem, uh, to include belonging is, is to really create a place where folks feel like they belong here. You know, I, I'm coming in the room and I should be here. Because this is a room that I rightfully deserve to be a part of. And so um, it's thinking through, you know, what happens after inclusion, post-inclusion is that people feel a sense of belonging, a sense of acceptance, a sense that they can rightfully claim the spaces that they're operating in and make it their own, obviously within the confines of the Google ecosystem, but certainly not feeling like there's an extra and additional tax that comes with being who you are. You
0: know. Do you think that's is is the tolerance mm-hmm. verbiage around it? Is that yeah. part of that too? Because it's like somehow i'm I I that that there's a tax on me if you have to be tolerant of me.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's kind of like almost kind of a mush in the face of tolerance, right? Where it's like you're not you're not necessarily tolerating, you're accepting me, right? I don't, right. I, don't I mean no one really wants to be just tolerated. Um, I think of like a, a kindergarten <laughs> teacher who's like, I will not tolerate this behavior. And, and right. you know, and, and it's like, not exactly that. It, it's kind of taking it a further and more genuine step further, right? Where it's to say that you are someone that I have hired into this company, because I believe that you have the capabilities to do this job, because I believe that you add something to the culture of this organization. And I want you here. You yeah know, so I'm not just tolerating you I'm celebrating you I'm recognizing you I am validating you Yeah in a, in a way that makes it very clear that this is space that you should be able to rightfully claim uh as your own and you know be willing to share with those who it's are amazing. around you yeah. And and I think what what it also means is that it's all a net positive it's a net gain for everyone Mm. So, it's not to say that there's a request that you give up space. It's a request that there's an acknowledgement that there's enough space for all of us up in here. Yeah. And I think, you know, Google is in a very unique position because we have so much space. So, it's (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's like uh, you you can stand to just, you know, not use or give the space that's over there that you're not using to somebody else because there's so much more of it here. And so, it's an acknowledgement. That there's enough space at you know in the room at the proverbial table or whatever you want to call it um, to to share and and to seed in a way uh, that's authentic and genuine to those who rightfully deserve to be there.
0: Well, on the so speaking of room, there's a lot of room because all of us are home, so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of empty rooms right now. Exactly. I have read that you know some of the experts in this field are talking about. The impact that all this, that 42% of us all working at home is having on diversity inclusion programs. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I, as Because so, I'm really working by myself all the time. So I'm not in these like group. What's happening? Are we falling backwards? I like, yeah.
1: uh, You know, uh. I think I think it's an interesting question, Jen. It's and and I, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. I think you know we start talking about the Uber tactical of how are folks showing up in meetings, how are people mm-hmm. getting stretch assignments, how are people being recognized for the work that they do, and I certainly think that remote work makes those things very challenging, a little harder than they were before, um, because you know. I can't speak when someone else is speaking on an open line. You know, I, I can do that maybe in, in a meeting room with a whole bunch of folks there, which then makes it so that my presence is felt and seen in a different sort of way. But if we're all remote, it's a little bit challenging, no. I think, to, to get into the conversation for some of our underrepresented folks. I also think it's hard to build the type of camaraderie and visibility that many of our underrepresented folks need um, in order to be successful. Yeah. And in order to have their work seen and validated on an ongoing basis. And so I think often about how we coach our leaders to stretch in a different sort of way, to account for the distance, to account for, you know, the separation that has been created because of this global pandemic, so that we're still showing up as inclusive leaders More intentionally knowing that the terrain and the conditions have changed in a very dramatic and, and, you know, almost like consistent way across the board. I, I don't know that we're at a point just yet where I'm saying that we're sliding backwards because I do think some of that remains to be seen, but I do think yeah. it has required us to show up differently. I also will say too that many companies, Google included, has relied very much on conferences and events and summits and things of the sort to bring our underrepresented talent together, to source mm-hmm. underrepresented talent, to show our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Obviously, those things are, are not a thing right now now because right. of the pandemic. And so I think that it's forced us to get a little bit more creative about how we drive inclusion internally and how we show our commitment to that externally. None of which I think at this point indicates a sliding backwards, but it does, I think, indicate us having to get a, a little bit more nimble and flexible, a little bit more fungible uh, yeah. in how we, how we do the work how we innovate around the work and then how we show our commitment to it. I am interested in seeing, you know, when we see pulse surveys from all the different companies in the future, uh, if there is a meaningful difference that folks yeah. are feeling, but, but for right now, I, I think it has required us to just get a little bit more innovative. Yeah. And and the hope is that it hasn't had a lasting impact on diversity and inclusion, but you never know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. It, like, it, you're ma- I was in a uh, course last night with 33 participants in the meeting mm-hmm. and I, you're making me think like, like when it was the full, when it was the plenary for mm-hmm. the, the discussion, I was silent, literally yeah. leaning back. Yeah. And then when we go into the breakout rooms, I, I, I physically lean forward and like, okay, yeah. you know, and it was all women. So there was diversity, racial, ethnic, it wasn't diversity in age and it wasn't diversity in gender. Mm-hmm. In, but in other ways, maybe. I don't know. But it just, yeah. the, si- the sheer size of it, it's like, I, I don't know if I feel unpinned that I don't have to. I don't know. But it, well, you're, it, you're making yeah. me think about that. <laughs> I mean,
1: and I think it's an interesting thing to play with, right? Because now we're getting into, you know, neurodiversity of, you know, how yeah. people interact with one another and who's an introvert versus who's an extrovert and how that plays out over, you know, the interwebs and, you know, the, the broader kind of internet platforms that we're playing with now. Um, yeah. It plays out very, very, Very differently, which I think requires us to take all of these things into account in a different sort of way. So in addition to the informal touch points that you know black and brown folks have been taught to really lean forward in uh, when it comes to like networking in in the office or talking to folks over coffee or whatever it might be, we've had to rethink how we coach our underrepresented talent in, in that space and how we coach our managers in that space. But I think there's a secondary piece like what you just described, where it's like, okay. This is a large meeting that, if we were in person, it would probably be a little different. Like, you know, right. I might giggle and kiki with the person sitting next to me. I'm able to really gauge what? active listening in a different <laughs> sort of way, you know. <laughs> and now in the pl- in the plenary, when I'm in my living room, uh, yeah, I'm on mute by
0: myself, with yeah, the, with, with the camera
1: off. Yeah. exactly, yeah and my feet up and I'm probably, you know, listening, but also scrolling on my phone. And then also, you know,
0: I was playing a game. Exactly. I really was. And I had the exactly. camera on because yeah. that was, you know, but um, I had the thing down low, mm-hmm. but it's also exhausting. It's yeah. uh, the, the lack of visual cues too, yes. of yes. knowing, you know, and, and also just the physical nature of not knowing who's speaking. So the one to uh, the ladies who were able to like, step up and kind of own. In fact, the um the moderator was like, "We've heard from the same five people yeah. a lot," you yeah. know, and like and I and I loved what those ladies were saying, which I don't know. Shout out to it was uh, the black ladies uh, were owning the plenary, and mm-hmm. I like I they had a lot of interesting. I wanted to hear, so yeah. also I didn't need to lean forward because I was leaning back and enjoying. Mm,
1: sure, sure, sure. You know,
0: I don't know. Yeah. It's just, but but just that action of being in a group, uh, and you can't even see everyone if you do the the gallery view. So mm-hmm. right, I, it right. just I don't know. It's just all those actions, and if you take away certain variables like age and gender, mm-hmm. and so now it's, it's like, well, you know, are we – what other differences are people bringing to the table? Did that have any impact on who spoke up, who liked the group, who liked the – I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's
1: all its all in the mix, right? Like, I mean, it's yeah. all complicating an already very nuanced and complicated topic. Yeah. And so, like I said, it it really has forced – many of us in the diversity space, but specifically those of us at Google to ask different sorts of questions, right? Yeah. You know, we have the same outcomes, but we're now trying to ask a different question to try to figure out the new way of getting to those outcomes, given the current conditions that we're operating with.
0: Well, how do you do the performance reviews, like the goals you set, yeah. uh, you know, a year ago yeah, and, you know, just <laughs> tactically, whatever you said that they were going to do, like, uh, nope.
1: <laughs> yeah, not happening, folks. Sorry.
0: No.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh. One. We'll, we'll try again next year. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh well so on straight up on on like diversity programming Mm -hmm. i had sent this this note to you that i've been thinking a lot about this notion that carrie washington the actress said you know Mm because if you're an actress you get attention and then we cover you and i'm like okay but she was talking about how the diversity programs are still tend to be very white centered like the tolerance aspect and they like and i thought wow that's that's it. I love it when someone kind of like you know shakes you to the left a mm-hmm, little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, wait, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think she's right. Really, a lot of the trainings and discussions center whiteness and work to kind of reverse engineer a consciousness around race that is built to deconstruct whiteness as the center of all of our universes. And so in some ways
0: what in some ways, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> in, in
1: some ways I, I think that there is value in in kind of thinking backwards, right? So if we've all been programmed to think that whiteness is the quintessential, it is the most important, it's it the is norm, the right? norm. Then to a degree we need to start there to deconstruct it. Right, to to, yeah. to kind of take it out of the center of our consciousness and to expand uh, our broader aperture, if you will, for how we understand civilization and each other and how we kind of interact on an ongoing basis. On the other end, though, is the need and probably the corollary need to recenter everybody else. Yeah. And so as we decenter whiteness, there's a piece around starting from whiteness and moving away from it. And then there's a piece around identifying what are the other kind of what we'll call hot points that we need to be thinking about, which are, you know, our black and brown folks, which are, you know, the intersections of race and sexual identity and gender identity the intersections of all of that with physical ability and those of us who uh, are differently uh, equipped to do things mentally and physically, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then all of that mapped on to socioeconomic status and class. And, you know, like, it, and it kind of gets deeper and deeper and deeper when we realize that how we had centered the conversation actually was so minute
0: limiting. yeah, It was
1: so limiting and reductive even to the complexity that many white people have, right? I mean, if we're yeah, being yeah. honest. Uh, right. But certainly reductive for just humans more broadly conceived. And so I think Carrie is right. I, I think that there are a lot of, you know, these actors and entertainers that will make pithy statements that don't mean anything. And I want to be clear that I usually, yeah, yeah. Res- I resent those. <laughs> but <laughs> but this is not an example of that. <laughs> this is an example that I'm like, yes, Carrie. And, and let's take it a step further, right? Which is to say that, where we are today and the demands that uh, the general public, the demands of our employees, frankly, if we're being honest, the demands of the younger generation of employees are coming in, have of our companies is that we decenter whiteness, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, not say it's bad and it's yucky and it's gross. I mean, there's some people that feel that way, but um, but to say that there is more to this greater tapestry of humanity than what we've been told is the most important.
0: Well, and that that to and to recognize that we did put the poll in one center, yeah, And, you, you know, like it. That that's what knocked me a little to the to mm-hmm. the left because of all the you know target all the intersectionality. I and mean, that was that was knocked me to the left when back when we were. You brought all that to yeah, me. You know, Yeah, like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah I mean, and, and
1: this is that's actually what's really interesting, Jen, is that you know, we we started at at Working Mother and Diversity Best Practices talking about intersectionality about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and and I think that we were at the helm of that conversation. I, I continue to be very proud of the way that we pushed the needle uh, at, at that time. Uh, I'm happy to see other people starting to embrace it now, but it's become incredibly important because Folks do not see themselves as a monolith like that anymore. Like, you know, and so even as I've been really keyed into the conversations about Black racial justice over the past six, seven, eight months, there are important, critical conversations happening about the experiences of our Black trans community, especially here in New York City. Yep. That is a critical intersection that continues to be understated in the overall conversation around racial justice in the black community, right? And then by extension, the overall conversation about racial justice, period. And so we're still getting to a point where intersectionality is valued, uh, where, where it's being seen as a cornerstone of the conversation, but it is so important. And I think that as we move forward, the demands that our general public and that our communities of color will continue to make of our corporations even will get louder and louder around intersectionality around decentering whiteness around the complexity and nuances of humanity that, that they see in themselves and that they see in each other.
0: Wow. And it's the thing for, uh, so I'm Gen X mm-hmm. and it's the thing of my, I read, I read a reference that's talking about, um, Gen X kind of discovered that they uh, that, there was an LGBT community around them, you know, like we kind of went, oh, people can't be gay. And I, and that resonated with me because I grew up in a town where there was no gay, you know, uh but, and and so to open up my heart and realize, oh, there's, you know, all this, there is this other diversity that I Mm -hmm. need to get to know. And and now this, this, you know, my kids, it's this, the spectrum Mm -hmm. of identity and the like, and that, My generation saying, yeah, but look how far I moved. Yeah. To you know how much I grew, and then yeah. really, like, we it's like I unlocked a whole nother level, and there's yeah. a whole other you know, <laughs> you know, oh, like we and- board, now we're moving
1: the level <laughs> to the next level. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, I, think, I think that is but yes. so true. I think it's so true because I think two of my generation, Gen Jen, uh, whatever was after X, so I guess that's Gen Y. Um, you know, I know my alphabet, yeah, sorry. yeah. You're uh, well, right. the
0: thing is, you're so smart,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, but you know, I. I think about our generation and we we did grapple with, you know, trans sort of and, you know, drag yeah. queen here and there. But I think where we are right now, and I, I was talking to a dear friend of mine about this months ago, is that I am seeing and far more aware of the spectrum of gender identity, even more so than when I first moved to the city. I've been in the city for almost, what, 13, 14 years now. It's taken on a whole different shape, a whole different yeah. form, a whole different way of expressing itself. And it's far more visible. Um, yeah. which is something that I love and I really very much appreciate. But I see that being a part of the generation that came after
0: me. Yeah. We're like, I open, look how much I opened my heart more. Yeah. And then you didn't realize it it needed to go even, even further. Broader. Yeah. And, and, and there's a little bit of it's funny to be like thinking that you're you're accepting and then realize, oh, no, no, again, it's the next level. Like, you know, and then like a little resentful that I, I was the good guy. (laughs) (laughs) I thought
1: I was an advocate. I thought I did it.
0: And yeah. And then to have a next generation talking about the need that was always there. You just Mm -hmm, didn't see it. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so, yes. and, And that, that I, I think that because I have a I have a teen daughter who will say, you know, I'm an old fogey and I you it's a cliche. It happens. You can't figure out the math Mm -hmm. and you you have to catch up with them as they say, no, this is the way we should be. And you think, all right. All right.
1: You know, I um I had a ment a mentee last last fall, uh, a young guy who was in high school, and he would share, you know, aspects of his life with me. I, I got the biggest kick out of it. It was hilarious. Um, but he was talking to me about his ex girlfriend who is now dating her. Best friend. This. <laughs> uh you know? and it, it became this this like sexually fluid love triangle that i was like oh my god like what yep. in the world you all are 16 like <laughs> what does this all mean but he was talking to me just so matter of fact about his ex-girlfriend now dating her best friend who's also a girl and i was like this is oh, cool yep. i wonder i mean yes you know this yep. feels like the epiphanies that were happening in college for me and my friends and you know later on in new york as we grew a little older but Happy to hear that at 16, you all have reconciled. uh, I think you know, asked yourself some very meaningful questions and that. The thing that you're upset about is that she broke up with you, and not that she's now dating a woman. Like that—that's yeah. not the thing, <laughs>
0: you know. The, that is the, brand new. Yeah. What are they going to discover in college, though? Because well, that so was that, the whole. Like, that was what I was, wondering. I was like. <laughs> it leaves so little for college to cover
1: for you. But okay, what will well, they do? You know. You know oh my goodness. At the end of the day, um, you know, I think it, it's a moment for us to take a step back and be like, "Wow, okay, so maybe there is some more space for me to grow." And then, secondly, yes. uh, for me to question the extent to which I've been complicit in holding up uh structures that have in fact been exclusive or have been in fact um right. oppressive and and that I think was also a moment of like uh man yep. you know I, I need to reflect on this like I can always I can do better but what what may have what I what have I done in the past that may have contributed to systems of oppression either knowingly or unknowingly.
0: Yeah. Um, and that, and to bring it all back these are the, these are the folks you're hiring in to your mm-hmm, massive, mm-hmm. right? I, not right. only that we, sh- we, sh- we, as the older folks, now you're one of us, I'm sorry to say, <laughs> uh, that we you know what our role in it, but that they're, every time you're hiring these, this, these new college graduates, right. you know, especially right. they're coming in with these expectations that these walls should be down. Absolutely. Oh, wow. so, it, so it's a bit of running that's what makes your profession so amazing, not only the good that you do and the change that you try to bring, but that it's it's ever changing
1: right and And there's a onus on us, I think to anticipate those changes or at least remain flexible enough yeah to to know that there will be changes because you're absolutely right the the next crop of Googler will be made up of folks like my mentee and yeah. hopefully, you know, we're we're hoping to get them, you know, to the right yeah. schools and, and 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 you know, perform well and get through the hiring process and all that stuff. But but the expectations again and the demands that these younger Googlers will continue to make. Yeah. You know, will be more and more progressive and more and more uh forward leaning. So that, you know, kind of leaning back is not going to be a posture that a successful organization, especially one like Google, will be able to take.
0: I love it. Well, thank you for joining me on The Breadwinners today. Of course. Thank you for having me.
1: This has been wonderful.
0: So our guest today, Michael Collins of Google, you will find links to some of the the stats and things that we were talking about in the episode. Um, I'll have to find the Kerry Washington story so everyone can kind of see her full thought on that. Visit us anytime at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com to ask a question, share your story, offer some feedback. How are you making it work? Please be sure to subscribe and rate our podcast. It really helps. Also help us tell the stories that mean the most to you. And until next week, keep hustling.